0: Thank you.
1: Good evening. Welcome to the church tonight. Glad you're all are here. To join us together and we'll sing some hymns and, and have some preaching. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. We're, we're at the midweek service again once again. Alright, let's stand up and we'll sing our first song together. Come now, found of every blessing. Come now, found. so oh. Right, Thou art and and one of the things that you know just when you hear that song usually you think of a lot of things going on and the very loud singing and just you know you know instruments playing along and when he did with the guitar it just got such a different vibe off of it where it was just so meditative you know and then that third verse when i think that god is son not sparing sent him to die scarce can take it in and you know if you put you know i put myself in that in the position of being god and my son andrew and imagine i i make something and it gets messed up Ah, oh, my creation is not good well the only way to fix it is to take my son and send him into the creation and make him die for it i would not do that <laughs> I, you know but god did that he did that for us because. I mean, you think of a creation you might make. I mean, what, um, you might work on a car and you restore it. You might make a model train set and, you know, put it all together. But, you know, if it gets messed up because something inside that creation happened, what would you, would you really do that? Like, God did that for us. And I, I can't understand it. But, uh, you know, another, uh, what, a sacrifice of the father of a son was Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham, God said, Abraham, you have to sacrifice your son to me. And he didn't explain it to Isaac. He just got up and said, let's go. we got to go. And Isaac said, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a sacrifice, knowing what he was going to do. And he even raised a knife to, to kill his son, right? And, then, and God said, hey, Abraham. I mean, Abraham was willing to do that. So I don't know what God, you know, the tremendous amount of love God had for us, and what and how Jesus would have thought. You're doing what? You're sending me what? You're sending me to do what? I mean, Jesus was willing to do that. But you have to think, Jesus, well, he probably didn't feel, I have to go die for this creation that my father made? What? I mean, I don't know. My imagination just goes a lot of places when you think about that. I mean, I don't know. Something to think about. it. God did sacrifice his son loves us. Alright, let's sing the last song, Worthy of Worship.
2: okay. I think it's up now. This morning, I didn't know what next week was going to bring, but now I know next week I'll be back. (laughs) His pastor pastor said to me, he said, uh, uh, can you uh, fill in next week too? Because he found out this afternoon he's going to be taking care of BJ's brother's funeral down in Beech Grove on, on Wednesday um, and I don't know how, every, how, how much everybody knows about that, what's happened. But uh, um, anyway, so uh, where we're going to end up tonight uh, and, and next week um, is the beginning of a series, or the continuation of a series, I guess you could say, on this question of masculinity in the 21st century. And what does that mean? Uh, and, and what is the spectrum of what the consequences of that are? Um, why we're facing some of the things that we're facing, um, where is the church in the middle of this, what does this mean for the church, what does this mean for Christianity, um, etc., and, and and are we uh, dis, dis, discerning enough to be able to distinguish between what the bi- biblical position is on this and then what the world's position is, and then to understand that there's a, a very subtle but significant uh, deception going on in terms of basically creating what we would call a secularized biblical manhood. Um, and it's having some, some pretty ramif- pretty significant ramifications um, all the way around. Um, I was very deliberate in, in the script that I used and the, uh, the color of the font. Um, it, you can call it snarky or, or whatever, but when... When we talk about secular masculinity, understand that it, it's secular feminized masculinity is, is what the world is putting out and what it's trying to push out and, and to get come, come out of our families, come out of um, our schools, et cetera, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in, in a few minutes in terms of what does this really mean. And so when we, when we try to get our heads wrapped around this, when we talk about secular and secular masculinity, um, it's directly connected to, tied to, and a part of what's, what is, generally speaking, known in the, in, in the 21st century as the cancel culture concept, right? And, you know, we, we, can, we can blow it off. We can just kind of say, yeah, right, who knows, whatever. But when we understand what cancel culture is all about, we have to understand that there are a series of steps that that this goes down as it relates to getting to um, the root of, of all of this. We see, we see it in, in, in what's next, usually speaking, in, in terms of at least this particular uh, context, is what's called cancel gender. And the order and sequence may may be seen differently at different times, but for the purposes of of what I'm looking at and trying to get it to to take it down from a macro to a micro, um, there is a a movement to cancel the whole concept of gender. And and we see this in the the way that that pronouns are handled and and many other things. And then the next step in the process is uh, cancel masculinity. But then we get to the, get to the real issue uh, in terms of what's going on, because at the, at the core to all of this is actually cancel God. And, and you, you see this in, in, in particular in terms of the ramifications as it relates to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where it says there, And God said, Let us make man in our image after, the, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image, and the image of God uh, created he him. Male and female created he them. And when we, when we take a look at that particular passage, if we get that passage wrong everything that follows throughout the rest of the Scripture is going to go off the rails. And that may seem like an overstatement, but when you actually take the time to go through the Scriptures to see what that means, passage after passage after passage after passage, you quickly realize that if if they can take God out of the creative event then everything else falls in the direction of, of secular humanism and, and all of the rest of that. If there is no God, then everything that's a part of the progressive movement and so forth um, has then a legitimate space. But as soon as you introduce and add to the equation, no, this is what God said, and, and we, we need to be able to go, back, go past the point in our discussion where we said God said it, that settles that end of discussion. No, we need to be able to actually articulate the significance of that uh, in the present because when we talk about the, 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 the masculinity piece, it's really in the middle of a bigger piece that, that is extremely important. <clears throat> and um, in, in, I'm going to be pointing to a number of books over the, the, our time this morning, um, and uh, or this evening, rather, I'm still thinking I was here this morning, and I was here this morning when I, I got my time out of it. So there's there's a number of authors that, that, that have written some very significant pieces of work over the last, well, going back to the 1960s, actually. Um, one that's more recent is, is one by Tony Evans. And, and when, I, when I read Tony, I, I, I always am very conscious of what I'm reading, okay? And, but, but he's written a book in call, entitled Kingdom Man, right? Um, I should have um, Amy explain this. Um, <laughs> she was here this morning, and then she sent an interesting text to me um, later on, which I will, I will maybe get back to. But the subtitle of this one, "Kingdom Man," y- you have to really first of all unpack the title, "Kingdom Man." This is not about being the king. This is about being a man in the kingdom of God, as the way he has written, it, as the way he's laid it out. And the subtitle, in, in very small print on the front cover, you can barely see it right here, it says, Every Man's Destiny, Every Woman's Dream. Every woman dreams of having a man in her life that, that fulfills all of what Genesis 126 and 127 means about the man in the image of God. Um, and... And it's every man's destiny because that's how God created us. However, remember that we were in Genesis chapter 1 and there's something else that occurred in chapter 3 that kind of ripped this thing apart, shredded it, and basically just flayed it and laid it out. And that's the fall. And and the fall has had horrendous impact in terms of humanity in every level, at every place um, that you can imagine. And so... Uh, the the introduction of the sin nature into the the life and living aspect of of humanity has has had a a huge impact. Now, if we're going to get to where Tony's arguing, and he he does a great job, we're going to come back to this over the next couple of weeks. Well, next couple of times I teach. I will be here next week. So when we talk about every man's destiny, we will talk about some of that because that is what God's goal is for every man. All right? That's not where secular masculinity wants to take us. It's a very different place where they, they want us to go, right? They want all of us men to be wearing skirts, to be frou frou, to be warm and fuzzy, and to have no backbone. And that's, that's one way of describing it, right? And that's, that's, that's any woman's nightmare, right? right? And, and so it, it has a lot of impact on a lot of things on the, on the, on the female side of, of what's going on culturally, um, and, and we need to understand the significance of that. We'll get to some of that in, in the, the times ahead that I get a chance to talk to you. I, I want to deal with the masculinity piece because <clears throat> at the end of the day, if the, man, if the men don't get it right, everything else falls apart. Let me just be very blunt. If we don't get this right... It goes, the the way it's it's described in in almost every single one of these guys, um, they talk about it, they said, if if the man doesn't get it right, it affects home, community, culture, nation, etc. Everything falls into place when you have the absence of men who can lead and who know what leadership really is, what actually is, etc. And in, in, our, in our context, we have what's, what's now known as Christian wokeness. And, and unfortunately, the, the liberal progressives are controlling the, the narrative, the, the language. Well, there is an, an absolute antithesis between Christianity and that which is woke they are on opposite ends of the spectrum, and there is, is virtually speaking, no connection between the two of them whatsoever um, when you understand the core of the worldview that's associated with each one of them. And so as we, as we will move forward, we'll eventually start unpacking some of the, the subtle deception that's going on in the world from an ideological perspective, from a, a propaganda perspective, from a, if you want to call it the news or what's in, in the media, etc., so when we, when we ask the question, you know, what separates this? If we're going to talk about it, if we're going to put, put these on the table, we have to be able to kind of have two buckets and say, this is the bucket for secular masculinity, this is the bucket for, for biblical manhood, and I deliberately used different words so that we could keep it mentally separated in our, in our minds because the issue of, as I talked a month ago, male, masculine, masculinity, manhood they've become blurred terms with almost no meaning and that's that's deliberate because they just want to make this something that is just kind of without meaning without significance well it is there is meaning and there is significance and so the questions that come up does it matter does it matter if there's a difference and by even asking that question the implication is no there's not it doesn't matter you know, it's going to be fine anyway. Should it matter? Well, yes, absolutely it should matter. Um, and then, you know, should, does it re- redefine Christianity? Absolutely. We see, you know, we see things going on in the church um, across the spectrum, okay? And so, being totally fair, we, we, can't, we can't nail the liberals and the progressives because it's, it's, it's among us, right? We see it. We see it in some of the young boys, in some of the middle-aged boys, and some of the men. They, they, are, they are living out wokeness in fundamental Baptist churches. Right? And it doesn't take long to be able to sort that out, to see it, and, and to, to start to address it. And, and what that tells us is this. The, the, the work of... of, of um, Creating the next generation of men has not been done. And, and we're going to talk about why that's important and what does that really mean, because you have to ask the question, how does that happen? Right? There's, there's a way that, does it impact culture and community? I already talked about that briefly, but we're going to talk about that you know, more. Does it impact the family? You bet. You absolutely bet that if, if, if the men don't get this right, the family is, is going to go to pot and it'll be a disaster, and welcome to all the statistics that go along with that one. And, but, but at the end of the day, the, if there is a good news piece to this, it's this. How long has this been a problem? Since the fall? Like, this is not a 21st century problem. This has been a problem since the fall, and men have done what men wanted to do, and women wanted to do what, do what they wanted to do, but at the same time, what what you realize is that in that image imprint that God placed upon every male and every female at birth, there are, there are still inherent aspects of what it means to be a male and what it means to be a female in, in in every single human being, whether you're a male or a female, right? So so that that's that's that is in place, okay? And so. <clears throat> And I'm just gonna use a, an illustration here and, and Eli's gonna he's, he's gonna get a kick out of this because he he's on the other end of this and just from conversations across the, the property line. Um, so when when his when his kids come over and, and we over the years we've been, you know, Tucker and I were we were moving stone and all sorts of other things and, and he said, I wanna be like you, Grandpa. And I said, Well, why do you wanna be like me? He said, Because you work hard and you work like a man. I mean, I can remember this when he was a lot younger and and so forth. And and now that Addie's a lot younger, or a lot older, um, when when the three of them are at the house, and we're trying to figure out what to do, whether it's play Crazy Eights or whatever the case may be, um, we we ask them if they want to do this or that and the other thing. and, And Addie says, No, Grandma, I want to do the things that you do. Can I dust your doors? All right? And, and so you, you see those things that have been imprinted, what, what the woman does and what the man does. And, and, and you see those kinds of things and you go, absolutely. I mean, when I was a boy and I had two, sis- two sisters, I couldn't get them to do some of the things that I needed to get done around the house, outside the house. They said, no, that's for you. Well, fortunately, mom and dad were, were pretty, pretty wise. And one of the things that they did was they said, all work is equal work. I had to do the dishes, I had to wash the dishes, I had to dry the dishes, I had to um, do the laundry, I had to um, um, make my bed daily, um, I had to change the sheets weekly, and my sister did too. And then, I had to, then they had to do all sorts of stuff outside as well, because they said, you, my mom and dad said, you just never know what tomorrow's going to bring. And so it's at le- you at least had, had to know how to do it, right? And there was no gender, generally speaking, assigned to any of those sorts of things. It's just like, this is what we do as a family, we work together. And so, as we think about this, and we've got to be careful that we don't over-separate and and over-distinguish some things, otherwise we get ourselves into some unfortunate pickles. So, when we... And I I deliberately have done this here with some very general and very high-level things in terms of um, trying to understand this. Now, toys, all right? What I didn't say here is there's there's another... little phrase that goes, what's the difference between men and boys? Price the, the price of the toys, okay? But it's, toys are still the central, the central part of the, of the discussion. Um, and y- y- we've probably all seen the, the, uh, the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's a very secular view of, of, of what this is all about, all right? Um, and toys can come in many different, and I'm going to stay on the male side of things, I I know the female version of most of these things, having because of who I live with, and um, as with one wife, two daughters, two sisters, three daughters, two sisters, a mom, and so I've I've seen, and and we've had the discussions about this. But you know, toys can be my bag of Dewalt tools. You know, I've got this, I've got that, and, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on, and it's all about that. Now then, Tony Evans, um, don't read Tony Evans' book unless you have, have your chest armor on, all right? Because he's going he's gonna to send some, some piercing arrows at you as guys. Um, and this, this next phrase, sports fanatics. Now, he talks about sports fans and sports fanatics. But when he gets to this one, and he, this is just a short section out of the middle of this Piece in his book. Any man who has to wear another man's name on the back of his shirt may need to ask himself how he views his own man, manhood. Evans takes it a step further, is, do you even have manhood? Because if you, if you need somebody else's name to have a name, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he takes it from there, he really, he really rips into um, the sport obsession piece. Um, and, and what that has developed into, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with being aware of who the, the sports figures are, but when they become an obsession, and, and you, you know, you, and I'm not even going to name names because it's, it's I would be, I would probably get them mostly wrong because I don't, I don't follow that stuff. But so when when a guy like Tony Evans makes a statement like this, and he wrote this his book in 2012. We need, to, we need to think through what, what really is important to us as men. Um, feminization. And, and this, this one is, 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 a, is a tougher one. Um, Steve Ferrar wrote this one. Um, when, when a boy is taught by women and surrounded by them for most of his waking hours, it's natural that he will internally adopt, and out, adopt the outlook and reactions of those women. Right? Now, understand that we have a harder road to, to, to ride in the 21st century as it relates to this simply because of two things. Um, both of them occurred about the same time in human history. One of them was the Industrial Revolution. Uh, well, it was the Industrial Revolution and it had two impacts. One had, one had the factory aspect of things, and the other piece of it was that it, it basically took men out of, off the fields and put them in the factories. And what, what happened was this. You know, it used to be that back before the Industrial Revolution, um, the family got up, got moving, because they had to go out get the chickens, you know, get the chicken, get the eggs, get the whatever, um, and, and they all did it. They eventually sat down for breakfast. Breakfast was over with, and then Dad went to the front of the house and opened the, opened the blinds, if you will, for his, his shop or whatever it was that he did in in that area. And basically most work was done at home. And so dad would say, "Come on son, let's go." And you know, from this high and and he would he would work with work beside dad, would see dad with customers, would see dad going through the process of making things and whatever the case may be. And and he would be learning what it means to be a man, to be able to get to the point where he can actually lead, support excuse me, etc. a family, all right, or himself at least. Um, and when you take, took him off the farm, basically what happened is he couldn't go to the, to the factory with his dad, and so he stayed around the house, and so it was, he was still, you know, under the influence of women. Now, I'm not, I'm not underestimating the significance of women in terms of this whatsoever, okay? I'm very thankful for my mom, and, but she made sure that I, I had plenty of... Um, Learning time with my dad, so that I, I understood that what the man things of life were all about, right? Um, and and that was that was very significant um, in terms of my upbringing. And so we today have to, as families, we have to make we have to be very diligent about how do we how do we take the the nature of the work environment and everything else that's part of 21st century culture and make sure that we haven't, we're not feminizing our boys and don't realize it, right? There's, there's, there's a lot to be said about that, and, and, and again, we're not, I'm not able to, to, um, to, to, to unpack this, but let me just say this. Within Christianity, it's no different in Christianity statistically than it is in, in the rest of the world, the secular world. One of the, the greatest problems associated with the, the feminizing of... Young boys is the absentee father problem. Absentee fathers is not just physically absent; it's absent. It's absent in the sense that they're not a part of what's going on in terms of the, the growth of those kids, right? Those boys. And so uh, Farrar does a, a remarkable job addressing that issue from a Christian perspective. And and it, it it's tough because. It's more difficult today to, make, to overcome some of these things, and there has to be an incredibly deliberate process that we as men are going through, and we have to make sure, because there's, a, there's another aspect of this as it relates to, to those of us that are men, and that is this. Males, as a general rule, percentage-wise, remain perpetual adolescents throughout their lives, all the way up into their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And and so it's they, they are acting like they're adolescents, and everything is about adolescent things and an adolescent view of, 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 of all of those things. And it's not about growing, becoming a man. And, and so we have to ask the question as men, what are we doing to, to create and perpetuate a distinct adult male role model for our guys. What about, how does that work in church? Well, the same thing should be going on here. And I'm going to give you an illustration of this, and this was, this was completely inadvertent. Um, I didn't realize the significance of this until after the fact, until the father of the of the, of the young man that I'm going to talk about um, told me this. All right, So, I, you know, I, I try to be friendly with the younger guys, and when I was working with the youth group, it was really a lot easier. Um, and, and so, there was a situation where um, I, one of the young men I had gotten to know, and I, you know, could chit chat with, or whatever the case may be. And and I can't even remember the context. It was right out here in the foyer, and, and I, something was up. And I, 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 guess it was in the morning. And I saw him the first time, and I, I stuck up. I put out my hand, and I said, "Good morning." And, and he, he then gave me a fist bump. I said, "Shake my hand." He grabbed my hand, and I said, "When are you going to put some pressure on my hand? When are you going to give me a, a man handshake?" And he didn't. He didn't. Had no idea what I was talking about. And unfortunately, it, w- it was all in good humor, and we, you know, we laughed about it. Um, but his dad came up to me later, and he said, "Thank you, because I've been trying to get him to understand the importance." of what a good solid handshake means when you're talking about man-to-man. And, and, and so there's, there's little things, there's bigger things that, that, you, that you can do um, that you can help them to grow up. Oh, men shake hands with a little bit of effort and squeeze and whatever. Um, and so when, when that happened, I did not realize the significance of that. Not having sons, okay? So for those of you that don't have sons, you got a learning curve on your hands. Believe me, I, I did not realize the significance of that with, with growing up with, with three daughters. Right? Now, I, I had a, I, I, what, what saved me, I think, is the fact that I spent 40 years in the military and a lot of that time was with the Marine Corps. And, and there, there was no lack of manhood when you're talking about the Marine Corps. Um, I'll, I'll read that later. Um, and so as, as we think about this, okay, as we, we're, we're wrestling with this, and we have to wrestle with this, all right? The reason that we have to wrestle with it is this. This whole idea of, of 21st century, next generation men will determine whether or not the church survives. Because the church of all women is not a good place to be. right? It needs men who are doing men things, who are treating each other as men, etc., and so we need to be careful that we're not, we're not uh, you know, um, inadvertently becoming a part of this. Now, these are the, the, the five books, six books that, that I've been reading. And, you know, you, you know, there are certain times in life where you go, thank you, Lord, but no thank you. So because of what's been going on since the spring of this year, that's four surgeries, and... and lots of time on my hands. God's been giving me a lot of time to read and to do other things. And so I've read all these books, and I've read some of them. And, and so what I, I won't be referencing tonight, um, I'll be referencing it in the future, because this is where we get to the, I'll call it the, the nuts and bolts of this, um, making, The Making of a Man of God, Lessons from the Life of David by Al, Alan Redpath. It's phenomenal. And uh, when, we, when we get to this as guys... Um, and ladies too, because all, all of almost all of the principles that I'm talking about pass back and forth, because it's all about discipling the next generation, and the application is the only difference. You're applying it to your relationship with, with young ladies and girls. We're doing it with guys, and and so forth. So then, man in the mirror. Um, this is another one of them that you don't want to read um, uh, if you've got a um, uh, um, thin skin. All right. Because he really, he really put your face in the mirror and said, "Is this what you're looking at?" Um, and, and so, and this is he—he he deals with solving 24 uh, problems men face in the 21st century. What makes Ferrar's book significant is because it was written in 1990. Right? he rewrote it or he revised it in 2003, and in the, in the last version of it was in 2022, uh, and he passed away, basically days after he finished handing it off to the the publishers. And so when you read his, you get a historical perspective. There's a 30-year window that he's dealing with from the 1990s and before all the way up through 2022. And uh, he deals with the issue of how a man can lead his family. And and we're going to look at a couple of the quotes from his book um, today because... do you know how to lead your family? Men, do we know how to lead our family? I, you'd be surprised at the number of people who go, yeah. And then when you start asking questions, you go, I guess not. And, so, and, and really, the last thing that the feminists want is for men to be able to lead their families in an effective way. And, and when you understand the inside, inside of feminism... Um, you quickly realize this, just exactly how insidious this whole um, culture issue actually is and what's going on. Um, uh, John Eldridge's books, Wild at Heart, um, The Way of the Wild Heart, um, and it's, the, the titles are catchy, um, but he's not about a wild guy. right? That's not what he's all about, um, although he uses some pretty interesting illustrations. What he deals with is, in, 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 in both books, and this is where it's extremely significant for, for those of us that have young boys all the way through teenage, et cetera, a, a map for the masculine journey. Um, that used to be fairly clearly well understood um, in our culture because that's what, that's what life was all about. It was all about, um, and, and when, you, when, you, when you had a situation where you know, the mortality rates were such that men passed away in their 30s, that was not uncommon, um, and, and men knew that if they had a son, they need to get him ready to, to pick up the, the, the reins of responsibility to step up to the plate and be the man of the family because he realized that there's a high probability that, that he may not make it to 40 or 50 or 60, or in my case, 75. I mean, that's, that's an anomaly. okay? And in many cultures in the world today, that's an anomaly. But what also is an anomaly is the fact that, that the United States is leading the charge on this whole... Anti-masculine, anti-female you know, um, culture concept. right? unfortunately, and so is like I'm losing this thing. Um, so we, we have to we have to be conscious of, of some of these things as we go forward. All right. Now, if we're going to ask the question, "What is biblical manhood?" we have to have some biblical answers that 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 deal with this, and. What is a man, all right? And the reason that I put followership up there first is this. And one of the, one of the principles, and if you read uh, Extreme Ownership and um, the Dichotomy of Leadership, um, and I'll come to those in just a minute, um, if you can't follow, you will never lead. Now grab a hold of that. If you can't or won't follow, you will never lead, because you have to be a good follower to be able to learn what you need to know to go through the lessons learned, so that you can actually lead. And and we can get into that. And, and Paul in in uh, in First Corinthians makes this statement. He said, be followers of me even as I am also of Christ. So if you if you put this into into kind of basic English, he says, Follow me, but then the rest of the sentence could be rephrased this way, but only if I am following Christ. So if you don't see Christ's likeness in me, don't follow me. And that's the context in which this is being written and to be understood. The, the church, whether we're talking our circles or broader circles or whatever, is not characterized by a masculine men, male community that is engaging in this. That's, they are followers of Christ first. Now, let's look at a couple of other things here and a couple of these um, other quotes. And the, the second verse that, that really is important is this is in Ephesians 5, 22 and 22. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church... And he's the savior of the body. Now, <clears throat> headship, as it relates to this, has nothing to do with authoritarianism or totalitarianism or machoism or anything along that line, right? It has everything to do with service, serving. Because remember, the context of this is where, and to love your wife as Christ loved the church, right? Now, so headship isn't about essence or being, it's about function, okay? I'm the head of the, It's a functional responsibility that I have that there's a context in which I do it. And, and um, this next one, let's ponder for a second. What many men do is disrespect the headship of Christ, but expect the woman living with them to respect their headship over her. When a man does not respect Christ's headship in his personal life, no woman in her right mind is going to want to respect that dude. Why would you? Um, one of the one of the principles that that is, is is key, it's key to the SEALs, it's key key to everybody in both both management as well as the military, and it's this: respect is earned, it cannot be commanded, demanded, or required. If you Command. If you demand respect, you'll get positional respect, which has disrespect associated with it. It's in name only. Right? And and when we understand that, and we understand what the consequences of that are, we we begin to understand the the significance of this. So. So. You have to ask the question: Do I want my wife and my children to respect me? Well, get your behavior right, dude, and you're, they will. In the church, and in, in Christianity, if, if I am growing in Christ-likeness, and we're going to get to a couple of things here in terms of what does that really mean, th- there won't be problems with your children respecting you or your wife respecting you. This goes back to what, what Tony said about every, man's, every, every woman's dream. They want a man, they want a man who's, who, who understands the headship of Christ in his own personal life. And if you don't have that squared away, all bets are off. Headship means that in the marriage relationship, the husband has a God-ordained authority and primary responsibility to lead the family. Now, it's one thing to stop right there, but let's talk about the rest of the sentence. In contemporary mean, in terms, that means the buck stops with him. If there's a problem, he's the source of the problem, and he's the guy that needs to take care of the problem. And it, there's, there's a section in uh, in Tony's book that uh, I just I, I loved. It's the I got it section, right? He, he uses the phrase in terms of his family life as he was growing up with their, with their kids and his wife. Um, when, there's, when there's an issue in the family, um, something's, something's either got it straightened out or figured out or whatever. He, all he had to do was say, I got it. And everybody just was like, Dad's got it. He's going to get it figured out. And he comes back to them and say, with a with, with solution, with an explanation or whatever the case may be. And when I read that I went, wow, yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly what needs to be happening. Because they need to know that the man of the home has got it. And he'll make sure that it's cared for in in, in all positive in all positive means, with all positive means. Now, these are two books that I read now years ago. All right, I read them shortly after they they came out. I'm gonna be very candid. Um, they were written by SEALs, for SEALs, for people who who don't mind rough edges, right? Um, But when you look at the subtitle, How U.S. SEALs Lead and Win, all right? And they take that very seriously. How do we as dads, Christian dads, lead and win? How do we win? Our kids love the Lord, want to serve the Lord, and they're engaged in the ministry of the Lord, right? And they've seen it in us, they watch us in action, and they understand. Then we're going to the dichotomy of leadership. So I'm going to read just a couple of these quotes here. For leaders, the humility to admit and own one's mistakes and develop a plan to overcome them is the essence of success. The best leaders are not driven by ego or personal agenda. They are simply focused on the mission and how to best accomplish it. What is the mission? To transfer to the next generation a living example and illustration of what it means to, grow, to live in likeness. To be a man of God, a woman of God, and it goes back to the beginning. The humility to admit and own mistakes. That means you don't try to bury them you don't try to shove, you know, shove them under the, under the carpet. And then, when you've admitted, acknowledged, itself, so, so forth, then you say, okay, here is my plan, and you see, this is spoken audibly to your kids and your wife, and say, "Hun, this is how I intend to overcome this problem in my life so that I can become the man of God that you need me to be, and I need to be from God's perspective. They're focused on the mission, which is Christ-likeness, and, and how to best accomplish that. Leaders... Then, said another way, leaders must own everything in his or her world. So, what's my world? Well, my world begins at home. I must own everything that's happening in my home. It doesn't matter who did it or who didn't do it. I am the guy that's responsible. The buck stops with me, etc. At, at church, or at, at, at work, etc. Um, where I have area of responsibility, area of influence... I must, I must own it. No, and, and there's no one else to blame. Now, when you read um, Extreme Ownership, um, and, and the first time I came across this, there's no one else to blame, I had to sit and park for a few minutes, I'll be honest with you, because it's very easy to blame shift in your mind or verbally or in action. Right? Very easy. So whatever, whatever the mess is, the whatever, whatever the messes that have been created in the past, you own them. Fix them. In Christ, all right? Um, so leadership requires balance, okay? It's, this, is not, this is not rocket science by any means. Um, so what, but when balance is lost, leadership suffers, and the team's performance rapidly declines. Put it in, in our terms. When balance is lost, leadership suffers, and the, the family, the church, the community, rapidly declines. You see families in decline? That means leadership has failed somewhere along the line. It probably means that the male figure in that, in that environment has, has dropped the ball significantly. <clears throat> now, um, I, I, most of you know that I don't have any problem with throwing punches, and, 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 I, and I refuse to pull punches, okay? So, both of these books should be read by men, who are training other men to be men. To be men who are courageous, vigorous, and have a solid backbone. Now, here's the dilemma. There are a lot of families, there are a lot of situations where there's no male figure in, because of fatherlessness in multiple ways, whether it's a dad who's present but he's not present, or he's just not there, period. And then, ladies, you need to read these things, all right? Because you're going to have to pick up the shattered pieces that this non-male man human being has created, right? And and we in the church need to come alongside those kinds of families and figure out ways to be able to assist them. And those boys should be the focus of all of us who are married with kids, and we should be we should be doing what we can to to, to bring them along, to give them a ro- role model, et cetera. And so as as we think about this, okay, um, so. I, I'm, I'm going to pick on Todd for a minute because I know what's going on, right? Because I've seen both of his boys um, at our house um, working on our furnaces, okay? I, I know, based on conversations, that there's no one else to blame, right? You fixed it. You, may, you made it go wrong. You, you skipped something. But Todd also takes responsibility for that in terms of... His decisions and what he's got to do, right? And and he, I, it's been it's been fun for me to watch Alex and, and Matt going through this. Okay, I mean I can remember remember when when you and and Matt were at our house and he was probably I don't know eight or nine, and we were working on the shed, and and he was like oh, i been doing this. There's nothing. <laughs> it was fun because I watched I watched Matt uh, watch Todd handle that. It was like. Yeah, that's exactly what you needed to you needed to do because I knew where he wanted to go with that boy. He wanted him to grow up to be a man, right? And and well, well, Matt might not have. I haven't said anything to him about that, by the way. Um, I have I have tried him a, a couple of times about what he found at Ginger's um, AC unit a, a couple of times. That's another story. Um, I'll let that's Matt's story to tell, and I'm, I'm going to leave it there. So this is where we're going to stop tonight. But so. We're going to work through a lot more of this. What is, um, I'm just going to put this up, what is biblical manhood? I, I want to really work through this so that we can, we can checklist ourselves and figure this out and be able to say, i got some work to do here. Now, guys, let's be honest. There's not a guy in here that can check all these off. Guaranteed. Five minutes, and you could have the other list of the things that you've got to get done, right? But what do we need to do? We need to be able to walk with each other. We need to talk with each other. We need to be honest with each other and say, "I need some help here. I need some help there. I need to whatever. Um, Help me to understand this, okay?" And and we all ought to have young men in our lives that were that were mentoring into um, into manhood. Um, And so, (laughs) with that having been said. I'm going to stop, and it's time to get to prayer, I guess. Uh, and I'm not sure how things work on, Sunday, on Wednesday evenings, um, because I'm not normally here on Wednesday evenings. So does anybody know what goes, how, how it goes next? Okay, prayer requests, and then we'll break up into groups, okay? I'll take notes. Anybody have prayer requests?. Uh, Christy?
0: My dad's fighting stage three cancer and is scanned tomorrow to see if the chemo's working. If the chemo is not
2: working, there's nothing else they can do. If it's not working, there's then nothing else. nothing else they can do, okay? My ears aren't working. And you're not on the microphone. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so he's got some medical issues on his hand. Okay, William, medical issues. Anybody else?
0: Uh, I read something on Facebook today. I don't know how many people might know Rachel Shrewsbury. She went to Suburban. Uh, She lost a baby today. She was born,
1: got
2: sick, and died. That was mentioned this morning also. How's your sister doing?
1: Uh, She's feeling. Better, I
0: think, but it's you know it hasn't changed. The diagnosis hasn't changed. Okay, diagnosis
2: hasn't changed, and she's not responding spiritually either. yet
0: Well, we're gonna we'll see her this weekend. Hopefully, she'll be able to come with us. Okay. uh, It'll be probably her last time up there. Okay. So uh, the kids,
2: I'm sure. Okay. All right. So Mark's sister needs the Lord, and she's got some serious cancer issues, right? Yeah, she's
1: got three months to live.
2: Okay, three months to live. All right. So, anything else, Eli? Okay. How old was Aunt Marty? I it was 74. 74, okay. Right. Anything else? Tim? With
0: Patty's, Patty's and the okay, funeral. the denizens, yeah. Patty had a lot of Okay. And so some of them are
2: taking it harder Ah, uh, okay. See, See, for, for some of us, we wouldn't know that because I, I mean, she was a, she actually it's more or less been unknown to me other than the picture because obviously I was not in her uh, ladies um, <laughs> Sunday school class or anything like that, and Brenda wasn't either. So we, we, we're learning about, a lot about that. So she's a, she's a significant piece of the foundation of the growth of a lot of people at SPT. So, um, so pray for her, all right? Anything else? All right. Break up. Pray. So...